Go to Zechariah chapter 13, verse 1. And now Zechariah was the last prophet of the Old Testament. Um, and um, he was, of all the, the book of Malachi comes after Zechariah, but Zechariah was the last prophet of the Old Testament. And, um, and it, it says here, he, uh, he lived 400 years before Jesus, and he prophesied 400 years before, uh, before Christ. And here he says something astounding in chapter 13, verse 1. He says, in that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. Zechariah is prophesying that there will come a day when there shall be a fountain. And the word fountain here actually means a spring or a river. God says there will be a spring, a flowing stream or a river open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. Amen. Now, you know, this is very interesting because he says that God is going to open a stream or a river that shall be for the cleansing of sin and uncleanness. And, you know, every religion has a, has a concept of, of, of holy rivers and holy streams. Now, in the days of the Bible, those days when people didn't have running water in their homes, taps like we have in our day, there were two sources of water. One was the well, the other was the river. And here's the difference. When people wanted water for drinking or for cooking their food, they would get water from wells. Well water was for cooking or for drinking, for human consumption. But the river was the place where everybody went to take a bath or to wash clothes. When they would wash their clothes or they want to take a bath to get clean, people would go to the river. That was the biggest difference. Both, they were the only two sources of water, rivers and wells. So wells was for drinking water, river was the place of cleansing. Now, you know, every religion, is, this is very interesting, has a concept of holy water. If you go to India, there's a big river. It's the biggest, I think the biggest river in India is called the Ganges. At places, it is so wide when you stand on one bank, you don't see the other bank. It is miles wide. And the Hindus believe that that river Ganges is holy and that every Hindu, at least once in his lifetime, should go to the Ganges and dip in that water, take a bath in that water because that water would cleanse him from his sins. They believe that. I grew up as a Muslim, and uh, in, in, in Islam, we, there, there's a spring in Mecca. There's a spring in Mecca that is supposed to have holy water. And so when people go to Mecca to do their pilgrimage, they, they, they drink water there and they wash themselves in, in water from that spring. In fact, my dad... Uh, used to bring, he used to have people, when he knew somebody who was going to Mecca, he would have someone bring a few canisters of that water. So we always had some in the house and, you know, to wash and to drink because it was supposed to purify and cleanse us. It never did anything, but that's what their belief was. Now, if you look at the Roman Catholic Church, uh, they, 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 in fact, they, they have these holy springs where 
people go to be healed. They believe if they wash in those springs, they are healed. And the most famous of that is the, is the one in Lourdes in France. There's a, a, you know, there's a spring there in Lourdes and Fra in France, and people go from all over the world to Lourdes to be, to wash and to, you know, to be, you know, to apply that holy water. And, but there are several other places where the Catholic churches have holy springs in different parts of the world. In fact, most Catholic churches, if not all, they have some form of holy water, water which is blessed by the priest, where people can go and, you know, get holy water to be cleansed. So there is always that, uh, you know, that concept of holy water which is supposed to cleanse you. But holy water cannot cleanse because water can only cleanse the outward man. You know, water can only cleanse the outward man. And when we, you know, when we stand before man, we want our outer, outward man to be clean. You know, I remember when I was a single guy and I met this beautiful girl. She was an RN in a hospital. She's now my wife. We have been married almost 42 years. And I liked her and I decided I wanted to marry her. So I remember the first time I met her mother. And before I met her dad, her mother came down to see her and I... I was, I was so nervous. I was, I was taking these uh, antacid tablets because I was so nervous. And, and, and because for me, it was so important to be accepted by her. So, so then one night, I, I asked her, if can I take your mom out for dinner to talk to her? So, so I, <laughs> but before I took her out to dinner, you know, I was so nervous. I, 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 I washed my clothes and pressed them. I got a haircut and uh, I shaved twice, you know, and I, so there was no stubble and I, 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 I don't, I think I was one hour under the shower, you know, I was, you know, I cut, trimmed my nails. I just wanted to look presentable and acceptable. And uh, I remember there was a time I looked for a job and when I went for the job interview, I, I wore my best clothes, I put on my best appearance, and we always do that because what you look like in the outward man that, uh, that makes you acceptable to man. But when you stand before God, it doesn't matter what you look like, but it, it is the inner man because the Bible says that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. You know, when, because, you know, and we, we think people can be, can fool God because we have people who come to church and they live like the devil from Monday to Saturday. Sunday they show up all looking sanctified, you know, hello pastor, hello brother, big Bible, black King James Bible under the arm. And because we have, we have perfected the art of good behavior, how to act and behave in church. And then one day something about that man comes out and everybody's shocked. I can't believe he could do such a thing. But that was because he had learned the, you know, to perfect the outward appearance. But the Bible also says, says that don't, God will not be deceived. What a man sows, he shall reap. You know, you cannot fool God. But the thing is that what is it that makes us acceptable to God? And, and that, is, that is where we need this cleansing of the heart. But there's no holy water that can cleanse the heart. If you were to ask a Muslim man, you know, uh, cleansing, he goes, oh, yeah, I'd get some spring water from Mecca and, and I'll wash in that and 
you know, my heart will be cleansed. But it doesn't work that way. Holy water can turn a dry sinner to a wet sinner. But, but here, God says that there will come a day, and he makes this promise, when I am going to open a stream or a river that shall be for the cleansing of sin and of uncleanness. So what is that river, and where is it, and how we can we be cleansed in it since it is a promise from God? And I'm going to, go, going to jump right to it because four years, uh, 400 years after that came Jesus of Nazareth to this earth. And Jesus came carrying that most precious commodity of all, his precious blood. Now, I want you to understand something why the blood of Jesus is so precious. Every human being, because we are of the line of Adam, we are the seed of Adam, and Adam's blood was tainted because of his sin. So every person inherits the sin of Adam and we carry it into this world. That's why David said, he says, when sin was I born, in sin did my mother conceive me. It's a part of our DNA. But Jesus did not have a human father. Because here's the thing, any medical doctor will tell you that when a woman conceives a baby and the mother is in the womb, uh, I mean, sorry, the baby's in the womb of the mother, and what happens is that the, the baby gets its humanity from its mother. Through the cord, it receives all, all kinds of nutrition, but not one drop of blood passes from mother to child. Uh, the genetics that are in the blood come from the father. That's why, that's why, that's how they took a blood test to determine paternity, who the father is, because the genes of the father and the blood. So when Jesus was born of a virgin, I mean, imagine the design, the master design of God, that here was a human being on this earth who carried the genes of his father, God, because God was his father. And he got his humanity, his, his, his physical body from his mother, but the life in his blood was from God. Leviticus 6.13, it says that the life of all flesh is in the blood. So the life of God was in the blood of Jesus, and the blood of Jesus was pure. The first person with pure blood on this earth was Adam, and his blood was tainted by sin, and 4,000 years later, well, that's why Jesus is called the second Adam, because he was the second human being uh, to, well, the first, second one, you know, was actually Eve, but the second man to walk on this earth with pure blood was Jesus. Now, but the other thing is that the human body carries, you know, the figures vary depending upon the height and the size of the person in question, but on the average, the human body carries about one and a half gallons of blood between five to six liters. That is, you know, six uh, quarts of blood. Is that right? Six quarts or one and a half gallon of blood. That is all. That is all a human body has, about one and a half gallons of blood. So here is Jesus, and he is carrying one and a half gallons of blood. And if you look at the total number 
of human beings on this earth today, it is uh, eight, about seven to eight billion people. But from the time of Adam until now, there's different figures, you know, different people have different figures, but it is generally agreed by most people that about 38 billion people have lived on this earth since Adam until now, and there'll be many more in the next generation unless Jesus returns and the next, and they say by the end of the uh, end of this uh, century, there'll probably be 100 billion people would have lived on this earth. And this is astounding because that blood that Jesus carried, that pure, precious, holy blood, untainted by sin, there was only one and a half gallons of it available to mankind to cleanse the sins of 38 billion people. Think of it. That tells you something about the cleansing power of the blood that the Lord Jesus Christ, car Lord Jesus Christ carried in his vein. And so he came to this earth carrying this precious blood and from the time he came, Satan began to tempt him. And the Bible says that he was tempted in every way but without sin. Thank God for that. He preserved and he kept that blood pure and holy because had he succumbed to sin, that blood would have been tainted by sin and it would not be able to save us. And he lived, I mean, for the first 30 years, he lived in relative obscurity, but he was pure and he was holy. And then finally, came the day when he went to this place called Gethsemane and he knelt and he began to pray. And as he was praying, the father showed him a cup and in that cup, Jesus saw the sin and the misery of all mankind. I mean, I cannot even imagine. I just think of my sins. Just the things I have done, you know, I look at my past and, and, and there are, you know, my personal sins, they can be categorized into two categories. One category is the sins that other people know of. But the worst things are the things that I have done that nobody knows about. But Jesus saw all that. And he saw my little sins, he saw my big things. And I myself, if I sometimes when I, if I begin to think of my past and the things I have done, there's such a dark cloud and condemnation that comes over my soul. And the Lord tells me, don't even go there because I have taken those things away from you. And, 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 and that is, you know, salvation is designed to keep us pure because if we begin to think of those things, if we even go there, let our thoughts wander there, we couldn't, there's no ways we could stand before God and have any confidence, any boldness before God. And that's why God says, don't even go there. Don't live in the past. Don't remember the former things because, you know, I will remember them more. Remember, the Bible says, I will remember them no more more and neither should you. Thank God for that. But Jesus saw not only your sins 
and my sins, our secret sins, our open sins, our big sins, our little sins. But he saw the sins of billions and billions and billions of Hum, of human beings. He, he saw the sins of people like, uh, I mean, Osama bin Laden and Hitler and Stalin and, 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 and uh, you know, these pedophiles and murderers and serial killers, some of the worst human beings on this earth and you and me and all of us. He saw all of our sins and the father said to him, Jesus, this is why you have come to this earth to drink of every drop that is in this cup. And Jesus was so pure, there was something about him that didn't want to touch him because he knew what it would cost him if he drank of that cup that it would separate him from his father. And Jesus and his father, because God is one, he's the, he's, he's the beloved son of the father. He had never been separated from the father for even one second, but our sin would separate him. And that's why there was this cry that rose up from his heart. And he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass me by. In fact, what he meant was that, Father, if there's any other way we can do this, let us do it that way. But then his love for you and me who were sinners was greater than his instinct of self-preservation. And that is why he says, but nevertheless, not mine, but your will be done. And when he made that decision, he came into a deep anguish in his soul. And the Bible said he, he, the anguish was so deep, he began to sweat drops of blood. And that was the first time that that holy, precious blood flowed. Then they arrested him and took him to Pilate. And there was that whole drama when the people wanted to crucify him. And Pilate gave him to the soldiers and the soldiers took him to this place where they used to torture people. And they took his shirt off and they stretched him out. They tied him up. And the Romans used to have a, a, an instrument of torture known as a flagrum. A flagrum was a whip with nine long belts of leather. And each belt of leather was covered with sharp pieces of metal and bone and they began to whip him and they whipped him and they whipped him and they whipped him with each cut of the whip pieces of skin and flesh were torn off his back and so there were pieces of flesh strewn on the ground all around him and the whipping was so severe that the psalmist says he writes that Plowmen have plowed my back and they have made long furrows. His back looked like a field that had been plowed and his precious blood flowed from his wounds on his back. And the Bible tells us why he was whipped. It says in Isaiah 53, Surely he has borne our diseases and he has carried our pains and by his stripes we are healed. Now, if you want to really want to understand, because some people say, why do we talk about healing all, all the time? Uh, salvation is more important. Why do we? Well, I tell you why. Because Jesus paid such a terrible price for you and me to be healed. 
if he had prayed, uh, if he hadn't paid a price for it and he had just said, well, I'm the Lord that healeth thee and kind of a general healing thing, we probably wouldn't be so vocal about it, but we are vocal about it because we see him at that whipping post and we see the pain he went through. We see what it cost him to see people healed and because we see the, what it cost him, that is why we preach and that's why we proclaim it and it has to be preached and the more it is preached the more people we will see people healed one of the things I uh, I get asked why don't so many people uh, in America get healed why do all these miracles happen in Africa well there you have the reason if Africa in Africa nobody complains when we talk about the lacerated tone torn up back of Jesus because those people, you know, they have no doctors. They're suffering. They're dying. And they want to hear about that lacerated back of Jesus because that is their hope. But here we have our insurance companies and we have got the religious folks who don't want a butcher shop religion as they call it. They don't want a blood-soaked gospel. They want a clean, sanitized gospel so that everybody feels good about themselves and they go home. So we don't want to talk about the blood. But we must because we must because of the price that Jesus paid for people to be healed. And if you want to see people healed, you better start talking about it. Pastor, you better start preaching about it more. Amen. They might have a few people leave, but that's okay. The kind of people who leave because they hear the bloody gospel preach, you don't want them in your church. You want people who are hungry, who, who appreciate the price that Jesus paid, who want to appropriate and take hold of everything that Jesus has done for us. And the Bible says, by his stripes. By his stripes. Not, we are not healed by the hand of the evangelist. We are not healed by the anointed hand of the preacher. We are healed by the stripes on his back. <coughs> I see miracles in my ministry, but I can show you my back. I have no marks on my back. I didn't pay the price. He did. That's why it says, by his stripes, we are healed. It points to him. After they whipped him, they put a crown of thorns on his head. And they took these sticks like two by fours and they began to beat him. Isaiah 52 said that he was beaten beyond recognition. His face was disfigured beyond recognition. And you know why he was beaten? It says that he was beaten that we might have peace. Might have peace with God, peace with ourselves, peace with our fellow man so that we can stop living in strife with everybody so we can start loving everybody so we can live free from this rancor this anger this hatred because we are at peace 
within ourselves and peace with God, peace with our fellow man. You know why? Because Jesus was beaten so that we might have peace. And that crown of thorns he wore, let me tell you what that is. Because when Adam sinned against God and he was banished from the garden, one thing the Lord said, God cursed the earth. And he says, from now on the earth shall bear thorns. Thorns are a symbol of the curse of God that is upon this earth because of the sin of man. And that day when Jesus wore that crown of thorns on his head, Jesus was made a curse for us so that we can be blessed. And that is why no man can ever curse you. No generational curses can ever touch you. Do generational curses exist? Yeah, they exist because they're in the Bible. But they have no power over you because Jesus wore that crowns of thorn. No curse can ever touch you. No curse can ever touch somebody who God has chosen to bless. And after that, they mocked him. They spat upon him. They picked up dirt and threw it upon him. And there he stood, the Son of God, the Holy Son of God, covered with blood, covered with the spit of sinners, and covered with dirt. And then they made him carry that cross all the way to Calvary, where they laid him on the ground on that cross. And they put those hammered, those long nails through his hands and his feet. Then they lifted up that cross and he hung upon that cross for six hours for six hours in excruciating pain Jesus hung upon that cross and at that time God was doing clearing settling accounts with mankind God was taking your sins and my sins and the sins of all mankind and putting them upon Jesus as the weight of sin grew heavier and heavier and then after some time the sun refused to shine on him and even the father when he saw our sin upon Jesus turned his face away from Jesus and Jesus came under the curse that's when he said my father my father why have you forsaken me and then when the price was fully paid he says it is finished. That means it is complete. I have paid the price for the sins and diseases of mankind. And then he died and a soldier came with a spear and, you know, he's put that, stuck that spear in between his ribs and water and blood came out and, and the soldier said he's dead. And sure, Jesus was dead. He hung upon that cross dead and at that moment the blood from his body began to run down the cross and it collected on the ground around the foot of the cross in a little pool and that little small trickle of blood began to run down the hill of Calvary and that was the day when God opened that stream that he had promised and it's not a river of water but it is a river of blood hallelujah the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin God opened a stream he fulfilled his promise he opened a river of blood and that 
you know what? That blood is still flowing today because see, if I was to make an incision on my finger and let my blood drop on the ground, if you came back a few hours later, it would just be a stain, a dried up stain. But the blood of Jesus is pure and incorruptible. It is full of the life of God. It is as, as warm and as flesh and as fresh today as it was 2,000 years ago. That is why the blood of Jesus still has the power to cleanse us from our sins. It has the power to heal us from every disease. It has the power to defeat and to destroy every demon. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. God has fulfilled the promise. Hallelujah. He has opened a stream, but it's not a river of water. It is a river of blood that cleanses, that is still flowing today. Now, where is that river? Is it in Jerusalem? No, no, no. Wherever the gospel is preached, the river flows there. And tonight, that river is flowing in Woodward, Oklahoma, in this old church building. The blood of Jesus is here. That cleansing, healing stream is here. You can get rid of your sin. You can be cleansed and you can be healed right here. You don't have to go anywhere. Catholics have their holy places, their holy cities, Rome. You want to be healed, you go to Lourdes in France and, and get there. But... but we don't have a place to go to. For us, it's here because Jesus is here. He says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there in the midst of them. We don't even have to go to Tulsa, the holy city. We don't have to go to Springfield, the holy city. We are here and Jesus is here. That river flows here. You can be saved. You can be healed. You can be set free right here in this place. Hallelujah. So how, so how can you be cleansed and, or healed or whatever you need? Well, it's easy. How do you dive into that river to be healed, to be cleansed? It's simple. The Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. It's easy. All you have to do is take a hold of Jesus, put your faith in Jesus, and you can be healed. You can be set free. All your needs can be met. It doesn't matter what it is you have struggled with. You know, sometimes there's, there's physical diseases people struggle with. Some people are born, unfortunately, with physical things, or they have suffered for a long time. Do you know that in the ministry of Jesus, most of the people we read about, they had struggled with things all their lives. People were born with disabilities, right? Some of them had given up, but when they heard of Jesus, something really, a woman with issue of blood, 
People like that are normally very jaded and disillusioned, but that woman, some, when she heard it was Jesus, something rose up within her, and she says, if I just touch his garment, I know I shall be healed. That's all you have to do, touch him. Touch him, hallelujah. Sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's mental things. You know, Brother Hagen said something very good. He says, just like people can be sick in their bodies, they can be sick in their minds. Sometimes it's a, it's a mental thing. Not because you have done something or you're possessed by demons. I mean, there are those also, but most people, you know, they go through depressions. It's a chemical thing. You can go to a doctor. He can give you a pill you take every day. It balances things out. So when that happens, then, you know, my, I know I had a mother-in-law who had, who had mental issues and the doctor used to give her a pill that used to make her function. So I knew it was a sickness, just like people can be physically sick, because you can't balance out a devil with a tablet. But there's healing for that also. Jesus bore our physical diseases, but he also bore our emotional and our mental diseases and infirmities. Praise God. Then there is no sin that he cannot forgive. Sometimes we think we have done such terrible things and we can't believe that God could ever forgive us. My wife's aunt, bless her heart, she's been gone like 30 years, 25 years. That old lady, she, a devout Christian, used to ask me, uh, Christopher, can you come and pray for me? I used to go and pray for her. There was always some sickness or something. And then afterwards she would say, uh, do you think uh, God will heal me? I say, Aunt Lily, why do you say that? She says, because you don't know what I have done. I have sinned. And then I asked my wife, what, what is it that she has done? And I found out that when she was 17, she became pregnant, and now she was almost 80 years old. And she said, you know, so-and-so, and there was a lady, she said, she's my cousin, she was the daughter born from that illegitimate thing. 17 years old, she became pregnant. And those days, back in those days, you know, was, there was such a disgrace upon her and the family. And she lived with that shame her whole life. And she became a Christian and served God. And she believed God had, Jesus had forgiven her everything except that one sin. She had a hard time remembering hard time believing that that sin could be forgiven. So she always used to, she never told me what it was, but she used to say, do you, do you think God will heal me? Of course. No, but you don't know what I have done. But I remember when she died, she was in hospital. She had been in a coma for three months. She was in a coma and we had some relatives who was there every day visiting her. So one, one, when she died that night, two of my wife's cousins were there to see her. And this is the, and these people were not Christians. That is what they said about how she died. They were not Christians. They said Auntie Lily was in her bed, you know. I mean, she had been in coma for three months. She had not moved for three months. When suddenly she sat up and the color came back to her face, she opened her eyes and she smiled and she put her arms out as if she was seeing somebody and then her eyes closed and she would gone. And I thought, oh my goodness, 
God maybe sent some angels or Jesus came himself to take her home. I said, because God wanted to prove this point that this woman was so loved that she wouldn't, he would not even let her die as the rest of us. He wanted her to die in a way that was so special so that our unsaved relatives could see it. But the saddest thing was that she didn't believe because nobody had ever told her. But I'm telling you, no matter what you have done, there is nothing that is unforgivable. Jesus has borne all of our sins. His blood cleanses us from every sin, every disease, destroys all the works of the devil. And thank God for his blood that we can walk free. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that there is a cleansing stream for you and me that we can go to every single day. Hallelujah. Every single day, there's a cleansing stream. There's a cleansing river. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads together.